You're listening to a podcast of Master Your Finances with me, Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. Another edition of Master Your Finances presented by Certified Wealth Management Investment. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. I'm located in Princeton, New Jersey. And can I can be reached to our website, which is www.cwmi.net. Uh, US, or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. Um, this week, we're very pleased to have with us uh, Fiona Van Dyke, who um, she strives to offer clients exceptional legal representation and allay any fears, allay any fears that they may have in hiring an attorney. She works one-on-one with her clients to provide adept legal services that are responsive, competitive, and effective taking the time to get to know each client and understand their personal situation and the goals they endeavor to achieve. The potential solutions in each case are so immense, yet Fiona takes pride in ensuring she meets the individual needs and concerns of all her clients by personalizing the meetings and documents. She has been chosen by the New Jersey Attorney General's Office to instruct their attorneys on the topics of estate planning, estate administration, and elder law as part of their continuing legal education program and frequently represents seminars, excuse me, presents seminars concerning estate planning and elder law, including Medicaid and VA aid and attendance uh, benefits. She has a Juris Doctorate from Rutgers University School of Law and a Master's of Law from University of London Uh, She is an accredited Veterans Administration attorney and a member of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, Wealth Council, and Elder Council. When she's not in the office, Fiona is an avid runner and volunteers her time with noteworthy community organizations, including the Princeton Senior Resource Center, a local nonprofit organization dedicated to bettering the lives of seniors in the community, where she is a member of the Board of Trustees. Fiona, I appreciate you taking time. Uh, to come in and talk to us a little bit about um, like kind of the situation. I think one thing I've noticed, at least as a planner, um, interestingly enough, um, you know, people are having a little bit of time to think about things a little bit, right? And um, given that they're they're staying at home, uh, they have a little more time to do some of those things maybe normally they complain they don't really have time to do. And I think one of the things I believe is very important is this is a great time to kind of, you know, look at, um, you know, your estate planning documents and, and look at things that maybe you need to do as far as structuring about that. And I know we've been in the news that there's been a lot about, you know, you know, the elder care facilities and things like that. So I think a lot of this is coming to the kind of the top of people's minds a little bit. I mean, what have you been seeing that people are kind of thinking about now and addressing while we have a little bit of time to maybe work on this stuff? Um, well, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, people have been, very interested in planning of late. So what started when the when the crisis started with COVID, um, we had a lot of calls for, from people who didn't have documents and a lot of people who were on the front lines. So emergency room physicians, nurses, who were dealing with patients every day who had the coronavirus um, and realized that they didn't have documents in place. So we did a lot for people in March who were really scared. Um, for a lot of reasons and, and sort of facing what was out there and realizing that they hadn't done any planning at all or the planning that they had done was 30 years old and absolutely not applicable to their circumstances at the time. So we jumped in to make sure that we got those people, their documents in place. So 
after March, um, so this past month, April, and continuing into May, we have exactly what you're describing. So a lot of people who have been sitting down and thinking, well, we don't, who aren't on the front lines necessarily, right, but have been thinking, well, we haven't actually done anything. And the crisis sort of brought up the lack of estate planning that people had done. Um, and, and we've been quite busy with families, with individuals who want to make sure that they get the planning done and who do have the time. They've been sitting and thinking about what they want to do and have the time to do it. So th this crisis has really come to the forefront for a lot of people that they haven't done their planning or it needs to be updated. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm seeing. It's like one of those like near death experiences, right? You're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. What if yeah. what if something really had happened? I wasn't really as ready as I thought I was. Yeah, um, exactly. And now, you, now you're like, oh, wow, maybe I better relook at everything, whether it's the insurance mm -hmm. on your house or whether do I have enough assets set aside? <laughs> do I have all my beneficiaries set up? Do I have my documents in place? I mean, there's just so many things that, um, you know, whenever somebody goes through an experience where somebody passes, especially, I think a lot of people wake up to that fact, right? Now we're in one of those yeah. situations where, oh my goodness, right? It's kind of a close call. Um, exactly. I mean, we often get a lot of calls from people um, to schedule an appointment to talk about estate planning after there has been uh, a death in their family, that it's, it's, they face their own mortality to a certain extent and realize that their, their plan is not where they want it to be, or they've just come from handling the estate of another family member and realized that it was actually pretty difficult because they hadn't done the planning, because it was really where it needed to be. So we get calls from people like that, you know, throughout the year. But this crisis has really brought people um, into the office because they are sitting and re watching the news and seeing what's happening out there and becoming very concerned that, that their plans aren't up to place. Um, especially when you think about what estate planning is, which isn't just your will for what happens, you know, after you're gone, but also the healthcare documents, making sure that you have named somebody to make healthcare decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself. Uh, you know, a living will that's going to give somebody instructions on what you would want um, at the end of life if um, you know, really the only thing keeping you going were the machines. And then also that HIPAA authorization to let the doctors know who they can talk to. You know, is it just your spouse? Is it your spouse and your kids? Um, and, you know, with that HIPAA authorization, I always tell people that they have that close family member or friend who is a physician. That's a great document to name that person. It's not putting them into a position of making decisions for you, but it's allowing them to talk to your physicians. And Kurt, I've had so many doctors in my office, especially of late, and I ask each and every one of them um, to confirm that they talk to each other differently than they talk to us, we mere mortals. And they have all confirmed that they do. And of course they do. They come at it from a different perspective. They have a much deeper understanding of what's going on. So, you know, making sure you have those disability documents in place. And that, of course, that financial power of attorney to let somebody handle the business aspects of your life, if you can, are, are incredibly important. So, so are there any changes maybe we should think about? I mean, some of the things you hear about, and I don't know if you've experienced this personally or not. I, I haven't personally, but like if somebody's not feeling, not doing well, right? They're not, they're not actually allowing family members to even like come in, right? To see them and things like that. So 
I would think that this really makes it's even even more important, right? Because now you're, you you may not even be able to go into the hospital. You may not be able to go into the facility where yeah. your loved one resides. So you can't even like kind of talk to people that are typically around them and at least help them or guide them on what that particular person may want and how they might want to be cared for. I, I, we, and I think this comes up a lot in kind of the elder care facilities, right? Or maybe even the hospital. Yeah. Like that. So, I mean, what are your kind of your thoughts about some of these we've been hearing about as far as how this is being handled? In the, in the assisted livings and in the nursing homes? Right. Well, right, what, right. what we've been doing a lot of, not necessarily in the assisted livings and the nursing homes, but we don't really have people coming into the office for meetings anymore. So mm-hmm. everything's being really done via Zoom. So our meetings are, are taking place um, via Zoom. With people in the assisted livings and the nursing homes, we have been in some assisted livings um, still working with our clients. So we meet with them via Zoom or FaceTime. And they have, if they're well, they can come outside and we can meet them outside. Um, we've been reviewing documents on Zoom too. So I'm getting really, really good at Zoom. Um, and uh, <laughs> Kurt, you know well, me. How, how are people responding to that? I know I mean, technology is, you know, I'm okay with technology, but I've never been forced to quite use it as much as I have been in the last several weeks, especially. Um, there yeah. was a kind of this transition period. I think we all went through and then all of a sudden we said, hey, we got to start still operating, right? And we all kind of like locked into different ways we're doing it. And then we got used to it. Now we're like, wow, this is not so bad, but it's different, right? So every time you're talking to somebody, I mean, what have you noticed as far as your clients go? And maybe even on your your personal experiences, right? I mean, it's, it's now we have to do it. Now we're kind of getting comfortable with it a little bit, right? <laughs> I'm much more comfortable with it than I was. So right. um, the, you know, I'm still a per people person. I still like to have that, um, that meeting with somebody where they come into my conference room and I can sit and have a nice cup of coffee or a nice cup of tea with them and talk about what their concerns are. But I've had to, I've had to zoom. So I've gotten much better at just connecting with people through the computer, which is a bit odd and a little bit different. Um, I'm looking forward to going back to in-person meetings um, and not Zooming quite as much, but I think everybody is is Zooming in their world or doing uh, Microsoft team meetings or something. And I don't know, how's it been for you? I think it's it's worked out well. Um, now that we've kind of gotten used to it, um, it it's okay. But I, I agree with you 100%. I still personally prefer to be one-on-one with people. And you still have that. Yeah. We're, we're still human beings. So I like to be around people. Um, but, you know, this is, this is something that I've become more comfortable with. And I think people on the other end are becoming more comfortable with it, right? So it's not, a lot of this is like, I've never done this before. What do I do? And once they've done it once, then you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. You know, yeah. and once you've done it a couple times, you're like, oh, this is no big deal. It's it's not much different than making a phone call or, or sending an email. You're just a different, it's just a different interface. So once you kind of work your way around it once or twice, um, all of these systems are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think we're getting used to it. Um, but yeah, no, we're coming up on a break here real quick. But uh, yeah, we definitely want to talk a little bit more about like how we're managing the pandemic and things that we can do uh, while we have a little bit of downtime uh, as far as our overall planning goes. You're listening to Master Your Finances. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with Fiona Van Dyke. 
uh, Van Dyke Law. And we're, we were talking right before the break, we were talking a little bit of how we're all kind of getting used to using, um, you know, these video conferencing systems like um, Microsoft Teams and uh, Zoom and uh, Google Hangouts, et cetera. There's a bunch of them out there. And I think we're getting more used to that. Uh, although you and I both agree that it's, I still like to meet people in person. Um, this is this is nice, yeah. but um, it's a great way to do it now. And I think we're all getting a little bit better at it, which is good. So in certain circumstances, I think this works fine. But I still think we're all going to be very excited to get back and be able to meet with our clients and meet with other of our comrades, so to speak, and, and kind of get get to see each other again. Um, so how are you operating? Um, you know, since you're you're you know you're a pretty critical business uh, as far as you know, people need to do their estate planning. People need to ma maintain their, their their legal structure, of course. And um, so how are you running your office in general, given the, the change in, you know, the landscape that we have right now? Yeah. So there are about four of us that are coming into the office regularly, and we all work in our own little silos. So we have to keep, you know, we're keeping our appropriate social distance from each other. We work in our offices. You know, it's it's one of those things where we'll say, I'm going for coffee now. So I'm, I'm you know, broaching into the common space. Um, so you put up a little bat signal to indicate what you're doing <laughs> next. <laughs> a, little, yeah. a little flare or something that goes up. <laughs> and it is hard because we'll want to look at the same document or something and then we'll be close together. It's like, stop, you're encroaching on my social distance. But mm -hmm. um for clients, as I said, people are still calling the office regularly. We are we're really quite busy. Um, that initial meeting that we have with people, as I said, we're doing it via Zoom, and we do have a lot of clients who are older and not as technologically savvy um, as what are our kids? They're they are called um, uh, tech natives or something. They're native speakers <laughs> of technology, right? They can do all of this without even thinking about it. But a lot of my clients are older. So we are working with them to teach them how to Zoom. So for people who haven't Zoomed before, um, somebody in my office will have a telephone call and with their computer on and, and sort of take them through it step by step so that they're up and, and ready to go. We do that like the day before their meeting. So they feel really comfortable with the technology uh, by the time I, I kind of I meet with them. Um, and then when we're doing documents, and, and this is something I've, I've actually been liking, um, I share my screen. So we'll prepare the documents. Um, and then our second meeting will be another Zoom meeting. And I'll share the documents on the computer so that they can see the documents. Um, we'll go through the documents, you know, document by document, just like they would in the conference room if we were sitting and going through the documents together um there we'd be looking at the paper documents and here we're looking together at the computer screen um you know any changes that they want to make i'll i'll take the documents back and make those changes but we are meeting people for signings in the office but they're very different so it's like a 10 minute meeting um we're lucky that people can come into our office without even touching a doorknob right so you can um you know hit the the button by the the front doors to the office building and they'll open for you um you can walk into our office walk into the conference room and we've been laying out the documents that people have already reviewed and then we are witnessing and notarizing them um, you know, the notary and the witnesses are, are watching them from our 10 foot distance with our masks on. 
um, the clients sign the documents, we step in and they step away and, you know, one at a time we step in and sign as, as witnesses and notaries. They go back to their car um, while we then gather the documents, scan them, copy them, staple them, put them in their binder. And then we walk the documents out to the car um, with our Clorox wipe wipe down their binder and put it on the hood of their car and then we step away and they take it out of their car and, and get their documents. But so we've been, you know, I think these documents can be really critical for people. Um, so we have been open to make sure that, that we're, we're there for our clients and um, making sure that we are doing for them what, what they need. And people are so right now anxious generally. I think, everybody's anxious. Um, and if this is one of those things that people are feeling very anxious and concerned about, to know that, that they can come in, they can get it taken care of, that, you know, that, that little voice in their head's like, this isn't up to date. This isn't, I, I don't have this document, that they can get it up to date. They, they can get it done. We've got a mechanism to do it and to do it um, very safely, I think. If I, if I can take that one concern away from people, that makes me feel better in this crazy world. You know, one of the things that we were doing and that we're still doing out there is um, free medical directives for people who are on the front lines. So, and, and really the people that I'm thinking about there and we, that my office has been thinking about are not necessarily the people who can who really even know what documents they need. So the people who work in the hospitals, you know, not necessarily the doctors and nurses, but the orderlies, the, the, the techs, the, the, the janitors in the hospital that are still around this virus don't have the documents. So we've been, you know, doing those without, without charge. Also for people who um, work in the grocery stores. They're those frontline people that need to have those documents and don't even, and, and aren't really sure where to get them. So we've put word out to the, the hospital, the first responders, the grocery stores, that we're happy to to do that for their people. No, I think that's great. I mean, I actually have a nephew and a niece that both work in a, in a grocery store. And it's, um, I think they said they're um, like 80% above their goal last month. I mean, it, it's just... Yeah. And they're under a lot of stress. I mean, even if everybody was like perfectly nice to them, but every once in a while you get people who are obviously everybody's a little bit agitated. And so they're really under a lot of stress. I mean, I think sometimes we don't appreciate the people that are, you know, delivering food to us or doing the takeout and, and all these other things. And I think it's really great um, that you guys are stepping up and helping them out a little bit because um, they're, they're under a lot of pressure. Um, I just know that personally that the public doesn't necessarily yes. understand um, you know, we kind of forget that there's there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes for a lot of this stuff to appear on the shelves and, and, uh, and <laughs> um, that, that, that we have been taken for granted for a, a long time. So so the medical directives, Absolutely. I mean, the medical directive is fantastic. Um, so are there any other areas of focus? I mean, I'm thinking about my most my most common thing that I run across when I get a client referred to me is, as you point out, they either have no documents or the stuff is way out of date. Um, so probably what people should be doing if they have a little time at home, I would think it just go find this stuff. Right. And if it looks like, um, maybe you need to get it updated. Um, I think it'd be a great time to yes. just sit down and I mean, can they, 
I mean, do they typically, you know, they can, I'm assuming they can like send it to you for review and then you go over it and then you make a suggestion. And th this is just a fantastic time because I, I know you found this out because I found out the same thing is that there's always something that could probably be tweaked with for almost yeah. everybody, it seems like, because things change in our lives, right? And it's amazing yeah, how so, um, the documents you did yesterday were really done 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, we just updated you know, those. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've done the same thing. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I just, it's been a long time. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to some clients yesterday via Zoom, and um, their documents had been done literally 30 years before when their oh, wow. when their daughter was born. Mm -hmm. Right. They wanted to make sure they had a guardian named for her, um, and their their life circumstances had completely changed. But one of the things that we often see are people that, that do come in with the documents that are, are very old. And that's fine. You know, let's get them updated. Now's the time. Um, and our documents need to change with us. So especially we move sort of from basic estate planning into more elder law. Um, we want to make sure that the documents potentially give the people that we love, including our spouses, the ability to do long-term care planning for us, even if we don't do it ourselves. So many people are concerned about long-term care because of the, the costs associated with it, right? So in this area of New Jersey, um, nursing homes can be as much as $16,000 a month. And assisted livings, you know, once you start needing care, $7,500 a month to $10,000 a month. That's a lot of money. Um, you know, $120,000 a year to $160,000 a year on long-term care costs. And many people are under the impression that Medicare is going to cover those costs. And it doesn't. Uh, the only government program that's available to assist in paying with long-term care costs is Medicaid. And um, I don't know if you've noticed, but in New Jersey, we pay a lot more taxes than some other states. Have you, have you noticed that? Oh, oh. <laughs> Usually around this time of year, it really comes to, <laughs> comes to a point. Yeah. yeah you, you notice it. It. Like, wow, yeah, we're I really often think... <laughs> Yeah, we do. But I often think that this is one area where we get a bit more. Mm -hmm. So Medicaid, just kind of like Medicaid 101. So one, it's it's the only government program that assists in paying for long-term care costs. And in New Jersey, um, Medicaid will pay for skilled nursing homes. That's kind of across the board. But it will also pay for assisted living and some um, in-home care. So in that regard, we get a bit more. Um, every state is different. Uh, in Pennsylvania, for example, Medicaid in Pennsylvania will not pay for assisted livings. It will pay for some home care and nursing homes, but not assisted livings. So that's really something that that is great in New Jersey and that isn't in all states. But you want to make sure if you're not doing the planning yourself, maybe protecting assets, because as you know, Medicaid is very asset limited, that you're giving your spouse the ability to do that. And 
in that regard, we really want to make sure that you have a very, very strong power of attorney, a durable power of attorney. And again, that's that document that says who can handle the business of your life. So as we get older, we want to make sure that that is a very strong document and that we are allowing the people that we name as our agents to potentially gift assets in a structured way um, and to talk to an elder law attorney before you make any of those gifts. But if it's not in there, if the power of attorney doesn't say that your agent can make gifts really in unlimited amounts and can you know, can allow your agent to set up potentially an irrevocable trust, then they can't do it. They're not allowed to do it. And that's how we do the asset protection to allow people to protect some assets, but still access Medicaid. For people who don't have that language in the power of attorney, we can still get it done typically, but it means we have to go to the court and we have to have somebody to, who ha doesn't have capacity anymore. We have to have them declared incapacitated. And we have to ask a judge for permission to do that type of planning that could be taken care of with a paragraph in a power of attorney. Oh, absolutely. This Even is very between important. spouses, right? I, I agree 100%. This, yeah, this is a really important area. Yeah, we're, we're coming up on a quick break here, but I definitely want to finish this out because, you know, planning for this is, is really important. Planning for long-term care and the different um, aspects of that, um, I think is really critical. Well, you're listening to Master Your Finances. We're going to be right back. Yeah, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but we were like running over a little bit. <laughs> so, welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finance. I'm Kurt Baker here with Fiona Van Dyke of Van Dyke Law. And uh, we're talking about uh, the effects that this, uh, the, the pandemic is kind of having on us all and ways you can use this time really to help yourself and help your loved ones. And, and really part of that, it comes down to planning. Uh, I know Fiona and I are both on the same page with that. We do the both. We really do this, the, the same thing, but a different corner of the of the same thing, right? <laughs> you, uh, planning is really, really important from a legal perspective and a financial perspective, but all of it together. And before the break, we we're talking a little bit about, um, you know, Medicare, uh, how it does not cover long-term care expenses, like some people are uh, believe it does, but Medicaid does. And um, if we could just kind of go through that a little bit, I know one of the main aspects of that whole scenario, especially long-term care in general, is really the earlier you start to plan for this, the more likely you are to have a better outcome if and when a long-term care situation occurs. And as we are well aware of up in the Northeast, uh, like New Jersey, this is a very expensive proposition. And there are lots of options to try to help yourself uh, out. Um, you know, I'll just throw in my side of it. A lot of people think that, well, as soon as you need long-term care, you may have to go into a facility, but a lot of people will age in place and you can do lots of things to allow your expenses to be paid, have people come into your home and help take care of you. And you need the legal structure in place to do that as well as the financial structure. So do you want to address a little bit of like when they should start to address things like long-term care and what are some of those best practices from your point of view? Yeah, so a lot of people come in when they're in their like 50s, um, their 60s to start planning for long-term care. And depending on really what their assets are, um, we can look at it both from a, a legal perspective and then also work, Kurt, with somebody like you 
on the financial perspective of it. So what we often do from a legal perspective is one, make sure that their estate plan is very, very solid. Sorry. <laughs> I, that was my, yeah, when you're home, right? Um, so what we do is make sure from that legal perspective that we have what is necessary in place the strong power of attorney to allow somebody to handle those assets. But from that pre-planning perspective, often what we're doing is setting up an irrevocable trust and allowing people to move assets into that to give them protections. Right now we have a five-year look back. So any assets that you move over to an irrevocable trust, um, if you make an, an application for Medicaid in five years, they're not even going to be reported, right? So we can kind of do that that pre-planning as it were. We're healthy. We're not really thinking about needing Medicaid or long-term care, but maybe we set up that irrevocable trust. And one asset that's so easy typically to move in is a, a house because you don't rely upon that for money coming in the door, right? It's, it's there. It's a pretty easy asset to protect. And we also talk to people, if they if they can get it, um, long-term care insurance, right? And I know that's something that you're very involved with. Um, and looking at not just necessarily the traditional long-term care products that people had before, where there was the premium that you would pay every year, and there's a chance of those premiums rising. Uh, one of the things that, unfortunately, I've seen more times than than I care to think about is people who've let that insurance lapse because the premiums got too high and then three years later they're in the nursing home or the assisted living. But there are other products that are available now where you can use your in retirement account, use money that's in um, the brokerage account to sort of pre-fund your long-term care. And if you don't do the traditional insurance if you didn't use it you lost it but with these newer products that are built i think on insurance policies or annuities it's not if you don't use it you lose it if you don't use it you have a beneficiary who's going to then take what you didn't use yeah no, you... i agree the yeah no the planning is really important i want to i want to point out one thing that you kind of touched on a little bit i want to make sure you understand this is if you have insurance and then long-term care for sure but any insurance before you let it lapse for, for not yes. being able to afford it, you always, always, always want to have somebody review it and make sure there are always options. Like you can reduce the base value. Oftentimes you can adjust the, the cash flow of it. Sometimes you can pay up the insurance, but there's always options that are available uh, with most policies, especially as old long-term care insurance policies. Most of them are being maintained at really the insurance company's cost. So they tend to be really, really good deals. If somebody has had them for you know ten or more years, it's probably a very inexpensive policy for the benefit. So if you're running into issues with paying it, um, you you want to have somebody review it. Um, don't just automatically just stop paying it. Just make sure somebody reviews it because there's a lot of options out yeah. there that might be much more beneficial for you. Um, and I and I think you pointed this this out a little bit. Is a lot of this people are afraid of it. They think it's just way too expensive. But it's actually you can budget for it and you can actually create whatever is applicable for your particular situation. So it is very, um, as you point out, there's many, many options out there now. 
And there's almost always um, a, a, a realistic solution that's affordable for everybody. Um, yeah. It's really something that's solvable. But I think when somebody's thinking about doing that long-term care, care planning, if they're healthy, it's absolutely something that can be a great part of the plan and give them so many more options. Because the the sooner you think about it and you do the planning, the more options that you have. If you wait until you're in the, you know, your your loved one is in the nursing home, is in the assisted living, your your options have become much more limited. But the sooner you do the planning and, and think about it, the more options that you have. You know, with everything, the sooner you, you do it, the more options you have. Um, and this is one of those areas where it's so important to to really think about that. And often what we're doing, it's it's that long-term care insurance, if people if it, it works for people, alongside the legal documents, alongside making sure that from a legal standpoint, you have those documents in place to protect some assets alongside the insurance. A lot of people will, will go that route to, to make sure that they're absolutely going to be covered. But for a lot of people, it will be sometimes one or the other, but I think it has to be a part of people's um, estate planning, especially as we get older, to talk to clients about, well, if you needed to go into an assisted living, if you wanted to get the, the home health care, um, how are you going to afford it and, and what are the costs involved? And I think this is one one of the areas where oftentimes it's 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 valuable to get like a kind of a multi-generational buy-in to this, so to speak. Because yeah. when, when we get older, I think it's really important for us to really, um, you know, if we have children, for them to understand what we want and for the children to be able to help. So in some cases, there's kind of a win-win scenario that can be set up um, to make sure that older people are getting, you know, whatever they are looking for as far as how they want to age, right? Do they want to age in place? What type of facility they want to go to into? And, and how is it going to be paid for, right? Um and, and a lot of times the, the children, like multi-generations are involved in this process, right? And I think it's really important just from state planning in general, but especially like kind of long-term care, right? Because you don't want to overwhelm the children, but sometimes that'll happen, right? You have a work, oh, well, you know, my daughter or my son's going to take care of me and they'll be fine with that. Well, maybe they won't be fine with that because they can't, they yeah. have a job, they have children, they have other obligations. And often like parents will forget that they have their own families and they have their own stresses and they have their own things they need to work with and to all of a sudden expect them, which might be providing a, you know, a dinner once a week to all of a sudden I'm taking full care of my older, my parents. That's a lot. That's a lot to expect from them. And I think the sooner you kind of have these conversations about how that whole all is going to work and how you're going to fund it if necessary, it just takes a lot of that stress away. And now that we kind of have a little bit of time to think about that and more time to talk to our loved ones, maybe this is a good time to have some of those conversations, right? Yeah. And I think it, you're exactly right. It's in today's world where, you know, so many people are working and there's so much going on in families. Not only are, can you not assume that your family's able to step in and, and care for you, but also the medical needs might not be able to be met. But also, do you want, I, I always say to people, do you want your child to be in that role as your nurse? Um, maybe not. Do you want your spouse to be the person who's doing those those things for you? Um, or, or how would you afford a home health aid? And unfortunately, I had a client of about a month ago, we were talking about um, long-term care insurance and, you know, she would never be able to 
because of some medical issues. Um, it, it wasn't something that she could, would, would then be available to her. And she told me that her, uh, a financial advisor that she had been working with, when she brought up long-term care insurance to him about 15 years before, his response to her was, well, why would you want that? You don't want to go to a nursing home, do you? And I, my oh mouth my fell open because oh that, no. that's exactly why you have it. So you don't have to go to the nursing home oh so that you word. can bring oh in people into your home to take care of you or for the, the assisted living. And I just thought, is that his idea of it? Or I hear people, um, you know, I, I've heard people say to me, and I know they've said it to, to my clients, they've, they've told me that, that, you know, you don't really need the, that insurance. You don't really need to plan for long-term care legally or fight with a, some sort of long-term care insurance because people are only in the nursing home for two years. Oh, that's absolutely not the case. And, you know, when we're thinking about skilled nursing facilities, people now go to skilled nursing facilities when they're very, very ill. So the time that people spend in skilled nursing is shorter. But people now are going to assisted livings, and they've really taken on a lot of the roles that nursing homes used to play. And unless people re need really um, intensive medical care or invasive treatments, people are staying in the assisted livings, right? A lot of them have a very high level of care that they can provide. And especially when we're thinking about dementia diagnosis or an Alzheimer's diagnosis, people aren't there for two years. People are there for 10 years, 15 years, and that's expensive. So, you know, it's something you absolutely need to think about. And, and when I clients come in and they tell me that an advisor had told them that it's only two years and that why would you want that type of insurance? Because you don't want to go. Do you want to go to a nursing home? Well, no, nobody comes in and says, you know what my goal is? I want to go to a nursing home. No, you don't want to. Nobody wants to live in a nurse. It's not, you know, you're not a 25 year olds don't think, wow, you know what I want to do, be doing when I'm 80. I want to be in a nursing home. I don't think so. Right. You want to stay home as long as you can or you want to live in that home like environment. But nursing homes absolutely have a place for people who really need that level of care. I couldn't agree more. And I'm embarrassed if that person is part of our industry because they shouldn't be part of our industry. That is just the wrong advice. Um, but, yeah, we're going to talk more about this in just a few minutes. We're coming up on a break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. We'll be right back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with Fiona Van Dyke of Van Dyke Law. And we've been talking really about something that's very important that often uh, people don't really address early enough sometimes, uh, but it is really kind of important, which is how are you going to address uh, as we age taking care of yourself or your parents, whatever the case may be. Often we talk about that as long-term care, but that's really just about how do you want to age and how are you going to fund it, whether that's staying at home, whether it's moving into, you know, like a continuing care facility and things like that. There's lots and lots of options out there. One is like, what do you want? And two is how are you going to plan for it? And one of the things you kind of brought up in the last thing it was, is that we talked a little bit about how sometimes people rely on family members and you mentioned, well, would you really want to have your son or daughter take care of you? And I've had some, um, people that I've talked to that once we set it up so that they could fund the care, the parent that was being taken care of goes, I got, I got my daughter back, right? Cause she was no longer coming over 
to like change the sheets on the bed and and, and cook the meals. She was coming over to see her mother. It was yes. more about I'm coming over to to chat with my mom about her day, not to do all the errands around the house for eight hours. So it, exactly. it was a, the relationship actually significantly improved. And one of the comments was, and this person ended up passing away. One of the comments was, I was so glad that we got to develop that relationship and I wasn't her full-time caregiver near the end of her life. I could actually be her daughter, which I thought was really powerful um, as far as how you need to make sure that you're set up correctly so that you can still have a family life and still maintain um, you know, all, all the structure you need in order to live the, the way you want to live and still have a relationship with your with your children, right? And, and, and so forth. Yeah, wow, that's so true that, you know, if you're the home health aide, you're not really the family member at that time. And, and you often want your family member to just to, to be there to give you the love and comfort as a, of a family member and not necessarily doing, doing all of the things that need to, to be done that are, if you were properly set up, if you had the funds set aside to do it, that you would have a home health aide. Um, somebody who's doing that in a professional category to let your family be your family. Yeah. That's really powerful. Right? That, right? You can't go from vacuum in the, 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 yeah. the living room to, oh, let's sit and chat now. Oh, I'm tired. I want to go home. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think it's important. So you kind of have to take a little bit of a step. And that's why I think a lot of these conversations, it's really, you have to really think about it in a realistic way um, about what it really means um, as far as the obligations people are setting themselves up for. Cause you want that flexibility, I think. Um, and you want to maintain that quality of life. And that, that's kind of really what it's all about is really living the way that everybody wants to live and just finding a way to structure it. Cause usually you can find a way to structure it as long as you understand what your goals are. Um, that's what I found at yeah. least. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would agree. That's a good point. So now that we got our facilities in place, the um, so the biggie is right. So we want to make sure we're planning for long term care, especially nowadays where I think this has come to light a little bit, right? Where sometimes people need to go into facilities. Um, we want to take care of our parents. Um, so any anything else that you're seeing going on now as far as planning goes? I know some updating their docs is really important, right? Um, obviously taking care of um, everybody is good. Making sure we're getting ready to go you know, whatever that may be, the long-term care facilities if necessary, but aging in place, I know is the most popular way people like to age, right? Um, so yeah. what, what else are you guys seeing over there as far as what people are doing? In the, in the, what people are doing in the estate planning sure. in, in yeah. elder law world? Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you something that is, that I like a lot is what I call a beneficiary protection trust. So, you know, a lot of people, I know I am, probably are concerned about, you know, your children and the inheritance that they receive from, from you. So, you know, there are different ways that you can leave your, your beneficiaries, their inheritance. So one is what we call an outright distribution where, you know, I pass on and my, my beneficiaries receive a check from my estate for, you know, their 50% share, 25% share, whatever it is they're receiving. Um, you know, that's never something that's good for a young beneficiary because, you know, you never want to give a 20-year-old a million dollars because, um, 
their frontal cortexes are just like jelly still, and they, they can't think past their next meal. They might have and, a new McLaren in the front yard, you know, in the parking lot. In the front. <laughs> <Right>. uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's right. So they're at the Range no Rover dealership to get their, to get the vehicles and transport their friends, and then they're going going heading to the Porsche dealership, and fifteen of their best friends are on a Caribbean island with them. Um, mm -hmm. So one of the things that people often do is then what we call stagger the distribution. So if you're 25, you're going to get a portion of your inheritance. At 30, you're going to get more of your inheritance. And maybe at 35, you get it all. And until 35, it's, it's held in trust. It's available. Somebody else is typically in charge of the money. But at these ages, the money's going to come out of trust. But a different way um, that, that I really like to see you know, of course, it all depends on the family and their views, but um, is to actually leave the inheritance in a lifetime trust for a beneficiary. And often people think, well, it, that's just saying to them that I don't trust them. And that's absolutely not the case. It's not that you don't trust them, it's that you don't trust the other, you know, the rest of the world. So it's a way of saying to them, listen, I'm going to leave you your inheritance in trust for the rest of your life. And if you think about it, the person who controls and manages that trust is called the trustee. That's the person who sort of has the key to unlock the trust and bring the money out and determine how that money is going to be managed. But instead of saying at 35, you get all of the money in the trust, you say at 35, you become the trustee. So you're in control of your pot of money and it's accessible to you, but it's not accessible to the outside world. So it's a way of giving some protection from what I call creditors and predators. So predators are the in-laws that we used to like, but now maybe we don't like them as much as we did. Um, there's a divorce or something happening. And then creditors, right? So that's the lawsuits, um, bankruptcies, things of that nature, right? You're, you're, driving on 95 and rear end and cause an accident with the head neurosurgeon from the University of Pennsylvania, and that doctor can never work again. Maybe you don't have that umbrella policy to cover these enormous damages. So it's a way of making sure that those outsiders, those third parties that we don't trust as much, the assets in that type of beneficiary protection trust aren't available to those third parties. They're only available to your beneficiary, to your child or your loved one. Um, and then you set the default. What's going to happen to the money in the trust if your child dies? You know, 90 years old, leaves three children. Well, the default is usually if you've got three children, it's going to go equally amongst those three kids. But you can also give that beneficiary, your child, the chance to mix that up. So you can say in the trust, listen, this is what I've put, but if you don't like it, you can change it. And you can say you can change it and leave it to anybody in the world you want, any charity, any person you want. You can leave it to your next door neighbor's schnauzer if you want. And that's really when you say that, you're saying, listen, I'm putting you in charge of the money and I'm allowing you to control the money, what happens to the money after you're gone. So really, it's as if you had the money in your own pocket, except it's protected from those creditors and predators. How, how does this apply to spouses throughout their life? I mean, you're um, about a with spouses, yeah, if they get yeah, married, yeah, so they get divorced, that's they get often married, something divorced, that, whatever. 
Right. So for spouses, what we do is something a little bit different. So some people want to leave their spouse's money outright. Absolutely fine. But if you want to protect from a second marriage, so, you know, from bubbles, bubbles can be man or woman, you know, bubbles <laughs> is across the board. But right. if you want to protect from bubbles coming in, um, you would leave your money to your, you know, the spouse who survives you in trust. Okay. I, I guess what I meant. The money's in, there. Everybody... I, I, I meant the first trust you're talking about. I guess I'll make sure I was clear. The lifetime oh, yeah. you would, trust for you beneficiaries. Would... Yeah. Yes. It would be the same. That's often why I was, I was really talking about, okay. you know, your children, right. grandchildren. But you can also leave your, your money to your spouse in trust to protect from second marriages and also credit the predators, bubbles the predator or predators okay. also. Okay, maybe I wasn't clear. I guess so we do if, that, I, we... if I receive the, if I'm a beneficiary of this trust, right? I'm a young person. I'm in my in my twenties, and I'm and I'm going to become the trustee at 35. Yep. And let's say I get married, right? And I have this trust where I'm the beneficiary, and now I'm the trustee. How does it impact like the marital assets? You know, if I were to get married at 35, as an example, this trust, how does that fit into? Is it just part of the marital assets at that yeah, point? Yeah, they're not. I'm the beneficiary? No, they're. No, they're absolutely okay. not marital assets there because you go. that person you're marrying is not a beneficiary of the trust. So that's how we give them the protection because they're right. never so going to become marital assets. that situation as well. That's what I wanted to clarify. Absolutely. That's what I thought. But I want yeah. to clarify that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Yes. I, 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 no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I said it's a way we give the protection from the the predators. Right. Those so you don't know. Unfortunately, them. roughly whatever I don't know what the number is now, but about half of marriages end a divorce. So. If you're leaving substantial assets yeah. and you're concerned, you don't even know, you know, who your child or children might get married to. You have no idea what their whole, you know, lifetime situations end up being. And you don't want those assets to go to somebody that you're never going to meet. Maybe um, at least you want to protect your child yeah. or children. This is one way to do that, to kind of keep that off to the side a little bit. Right. So they can receive the benefit of it, but it's yeah. not considered an asset if they were to get married at some point. Right. Because it's in a trust. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And then, as I said, you can say to your child or the, the beneficiary of the trust, you can leave this money to whomever you want. Right. Or you can say you can only leave the money to my descendants. Mm -hmm. So the money has to go to your children or your grandchildren. It's going to go down the bloodline. We typically call that protecting the bloodline. Um, so you can either say, I want to protect the bloodline. I want this money to stay in the family. I don't want it to go to a spouse or anybody else. Or you can say, listen, I want, I want you to use this money and leave this money to whomever you want. Well, that's so you get fantastic. To, you get yeah. to choose. <laughs> you get to choose. Well, Fiona, this has been amazing. Time has just flown by. Any final thoughts about our current situation and recommendations to people out there before we wrap up? <laughs> Stay well. Stay <laughs> safe, right? Absolutely. Um, well, you've been listening to Master Your Finance. I'm here with Fiona Van Dyke. And if you want to listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts, you can go to masteryourfinances.us. And remember, together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. Hmm.